starting the Zoom. Okay, no pressure. Don't ever freak out. Um, okay, here's how here's how I teach. Um, for those of you who who may be a little bit newer, um, we I just like to to go through it a few verses at a time, and then we ring it out for all it's worth, and then we move on to the next few verses at a time, and we ring it out for all it's worth. Um, it it goes really really well. I think I think the Lord's really blessed it in the past, and and I think he'll honor his word this time as well. Um, I like to call on people to read, um, but we usually have a good time with it. So we'll start with some of our, our older pros who have been around for a little while. So like I said, Ruth is this awesome book and it really applies to a lot of stuff going on in our lives. Uh, Ruth is of a different race. <gasps> uh, Ruth is a woman. Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the country of Israel is, is, in chapter one is on the heels of a huge famine. So a national crisis. I don't know if any of you can relate. Um, so there, there are so many different ways that Ruth really ties into um, kind of what's going on in our own lives, but we'll tackle those issues as the text presents it. Okay. So in Ruth chapter one, um, note taking is encouraged, but certainly not mandatory. If you just want to sit there and let the teaching wash over you. I, I completely understand. Um, but it is good to kind of get out what you put into it. And uh, anyway, so here we go. So Ruth 1, we'll, we'll kind of cover the first nine or 10 verses tonight, and then we'll wrap up chapter one next week. Okay. So Ruth 1, um, let's go. Ty, if you don't mind, can you read the first, let's just do the first three verses. And I'll help you with some of some of these are yeah. get a little king. I'm just about to ask you. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. We're all in this together. So Ruth one, right. one through three. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. We'll go Elimelech. Elimelech. I was close. That was good. <laughs> and the name of his great. wife Naomi. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malone. Yeah. So Malon and Kilion. Malon and Kilion. Okay. Yep. They were Ephrathites. Ephrathites. Yeah, that's fine. Yep. yep. Ephrathites. <laughs> From Bethlehem and Judah, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Awesome. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Go ahead. Okay. But uh, Eli Malek. Uh, the husband, Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Okay. I was about to say, you won't have to worry about reading Malon and Kilion too many more times either. Um, so, all right. <laughs> so, okay. So, let's take this in pieces. So, first of all, someone tell me, and you may have to unmute here for a little bit. Someone tell me, besides Ty, so he's off the hot seat, give me the time period that this takes place. It tells us in verse 1. What's the time period that this is taking place? What, what else is going on during Ruth? During the book of Judges, the Good, Sydney. Yeah. So one of the things we got to remember about Ruth is that Ruth takes place during another book of the Bible. Okay. Ruth takes place during the book of Judges. Now it's just one episode during the book of Judges, obviously, because Judges takes place over a, a large span of years. But Ruth takes place during the book of Judges. And this is really important. If you have an open Bible, you can see it, um, but if you have your phone, it, it should just be a scroll away. The last verse of Judges, 
the last verse of Judges is really, really helpful here to help us understand. Zach, if you don't mind, would you mind reading the last verse of the book of Judges for us? Yeah. Thank um, you, sir. Okay. So in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Perfect. Great job. So, so this is a great summary of the book of Judges. Notice it doesn't say, um, and there was sunshine and money for everyone all the time. Like, it's a very divide. Notice everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Um, it was a very divisive time. There was no king in Israel, which is the major theme in the book. One of the major themes in the book of Judges. Again, let's find out who the church kids are. Who is born at the end of the book of Ruth? Who does the book of Ruth ultimately point to? There is a way, yeah, Zach's on it. There is a way you can find out relatively quickly. But who does the book of Ruth ultimately point to? The very, very ultimately, end. Ultimately, ultimately. Okay, Sydney, nice. Redemptive history. Yeah, it does ultimately <laughs> point to Christ. But who is the, the one? I'm just asking. You said ultimately. I didn't know how ultimately you yeah. meant. Who ultimately comes in the fact that there is no king? Who comes out at the end of the book of Ruth? It is literally the last word of the entire book of Ruth. You got it, Baker. It's David. King, da King David, right? So again, now, now follow this. This takes place in the days of the judges where the deepest problem is there was no king. And since there's no king, there is no standard. Does that make sense? There is no great standard of law that everyone needs to abide by. Everyone is kind of left to their own devices. Um, not that I'm saying that we need a king now, but is that not true of our country today? And this isn't like an America bashing session, so don't worry. But this is part of the problem with everybody being able to do what seems right to them. Does that make sense? The book of Judges is not a good book. Um, I hope I'm not like crushing anyone's dreams here from Sunday school, but like, you don't want to be like Samson. Um, Samson burned his first wife to death in a house fire, okay? That's in the book. Um, you don't want to be like Samson. You don't want to be like Gideon. Um, you do want to be like Othniel, who is the first judge, but no one, no one grows up like, my favorite character in the Bible is Othniel. Like, I'm sure most of you probably, that's the first time you've heard of Othniel, and that's okay. Um, but that's part of the point. The book of Judges happens in a cycle of depravity, in a cycle of sin. It starts with Othniel, the first judge, and his story is very short, and he's very obedient. Every single judge's story after gets longer and longer and more and more complex because of sin. Have you ever noticed that sin never really seems to make your life easier in the long run? It only makes it more complex. That's part of the problem in the book of Judges. Fun fact, Samson is the last judge. He's also the worst judge in the book. And someone tell me, what's the terrible thing that happens to Samson? Do you remember this? What's the terrible thing that happens to Samson in your picture Bible? Go ahead, Sydney, are in you there? Well, just First, whatever. He gets I learned his it. Eyes gouged out and then right he there. dies. Right there. Yeah, so the death, obviously, does not end well for Samson. But he gets his, yeah. but, but look, what's the last verse in the book of Judges? What's the last thing that it says? Everyone did what was what? 
Right, in his own eye. In his own eye. And what happens to Samson? He gets his eyes cut out, which, which is, Samson is a symbol. I feel like I'm shouting. I'm sorry. Samson is a symbol of what's happening in the entire country of Israel during the book of Judges. Samson literally does what is right in his own eyes, and the only way that God can finally set him right is to remove them. In the same way, that's what's got to happen in Israel. They've got to have a king. They have to have someone to rule them. But in the meantime, they don't. And so the story just gets darker and darker. If you, and you can just eyeball it. Huh, sorry about that, that regrettable pun. But you can just eyeball it in the book of Judges, and you can see every judge's story gets longer and longer and longer because it gets more and more complex and worse and worse as it goes. That's the cycle of sin that Ruth comes into. Ruth and Naomi come into, but they don't come into it first. First, they go out of it, okay? Um, Ty, can you just read the first verse of Ruth again? Sure thing. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Okay, so this is super important. Um, here, first of all, here's our national pandemic. Here's our national crisis, but there's a famine, right? Now, here's what's super important for you to understand. Um, this is not just a natural disaster. The Old Testament is much different. God is, obviously God is at work in the entire world all the time. But his special attention is not on the church, which is spread throughout the whole world. His special attention is focused on the country of Israel. In the, if you're taking notes, we're not going to turn there, but you may want to circle that word famine. Or if you're taking notes in your notebook, Deuteronomy 28.48. Okay. Deuteronomy 28.48. And Deuteronomy 32:24. Okay? Deuteronomy 28:48 and Deuteronomy 32:24. Um, so here's why that's important. Deuteronomy is kind of a marriage contract between God and Israel, okay? Not that God really needs to be reminded, but it's for Israel, okay? And Deuteronomy has a list of things that are blessings for obedience and disciplines for disobedience. If you wander away from me, here are the consequences of that that I'm going to use to try to get you back to me. Does anybody want to take a wild guess at what one of the consequences was for Israel's sin listed in Deuteronomy 28 and Deuteronomy 32? You want to take a wild swing here. What would one of the consequences for the nation? B. Natural disasters. Famine. Yes, Baker, exactly. So this is not a OG golly famine, okay? This is specific punishment for Israel's lack of obedience. Think about what a mess the judges were. And God is, so it's not just punishment like he hates them. It's, it's not that. God is using famine to try to get Israel to wake up and repent and come back to him, okay? This famine is not so much, it is about punishment, but it's punishment to get their attention and draw them back to him, okay? So first takeaway, 
suffering in our lives. Now, now it's not always the case. We've got to be wise about this. But suffering is, is so often God clearing away the clutter in our lives so that we can focus on him. Think about the suffering that you go through in your life. Now, I'm not just saying you sinned, therefore this person in your life is sick, God's punishing you. No, 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 hold on. But it is true that God uses the suffering in our lives to draw us back to him, okay? That's part of what he's doing. Again, I've told this story before, but I have a friend who went through cancer and he says, Ryan, I don't ever want cancer again, but I miss how close I was to Jesus during my chemo. Think about that, right? Now, that doesn't mean that God gave him cancer to punish him for a sin, but God does use everything, even suffering, to draw us back to him. And that's what he's trying to do in the country of Israel. Now, help me here. Cam, take a swing. If Israel is, if God is using the famine to draw Israel back to him, then what's the worst thing you could do during that time? If God's using Israel to, golly, if God is using the famine to draw Israel to him, what's the worst thing you could do during that time? Pretty much do everything, every sin that you can to get away from him. Okay, okay, so you're there, so you're there. Ty, can you read the second half of, chap, of verse 1, and a certain man from Bethlehem? What does is, what is Elimelech's family do? Read the second half of Ruth, two, ver, uh, Ruth 1, verse 1. Um, so you're talking about when they, uh, him and his wife, Naomi, yep. his two sons, they were... Uh, uh, Malon and Kilion, right? Sorry, 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 sorry. Just read, um, read the first verse again. And, and keep in mind, if God wants to draw us to him through this famine, what's the worst thing we could do? So Ty, read verse one one more time. Okay. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. They leave. The whole point is to draw you back to God, and the, one of the worst things we can do, so one of the things I wrote in my notes here is what can be devastating during suffering is that if God is using suffering to get you back to him, but instead you let that suffering harden your heart, and now, it, now you're further away from God than you started with. That's what happens with Elimelech, okay? That's what happens here is God is using this famine to draw Israel in, but instead, Elimelech and his family, they actually get further away from God. Literally, physically, they leave Bethlehem, they leave Israel, the land of Judah, and they go to a foreign land, the land of Moab. Fun fact, you may want to circle this, Elimelech is a Hebrew name, obviously. Eli means my God. Think about on the cross, what does Jesus cry? Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God. Eli is the same thing. Eli, Melech, Melech is king. So his name literally is my God is king. So you've got my God is king leaving the promised land. That's what's happening here. My God, my God is king is leaving the promised land. What a perfect example. Talk about being a good church kid. His name is literally, my God is king. 
he talk about you know saying everything the right way doing everything the right way but when it comes down to it he has nothing to do with god does that make sense you follow that you know we're so desperate to say everything the right way and do everything the right way but then when suffer, suffering really is the indicator of where our hearts are right you know the prodigal son you've got the older brother who does everything right working in the field but when the son gets the party and he doesn't his whole system explodes and he hates the father. You know, his name is my God is King and he leaves and he goes to this place called Moab. We're almost out of verse one. I promise we won't spend as much time in all these verses, but he goes to Moab. Okay. Moab. If you're taking notes, Genesis 19. Okay. Genesis 19. Abraham has this nephew lot. Lot's daughters sleep with their father. Incest, even in that day and age, even in that time, incest, this was a sin, okay? And because of this sin, the oldest daughter of Lot has a son out of incest, and they name him Moab. Moab means literally from the father because Moab was born from Lot, from her father, okay? Um, these are the Moabites. Their entire, their name literally means from the father, and everyone knows what that means. Their whole legacy is one of sexual sin and deviance and incestuous relationships. And so, so not only do you leave the promised land, my God is king, you left the promised land, and you go to Moab, the land, you, you go to the strip club. You know what I'm saying? Like you go to the place where, and not that everyone in Moab was terrible, but this is the legacy. Any Hebrew reading the book of Ruth is thinking, oh my gosh, they went where? So it's literally going from bad to worse, okay? So these are, these are the Moabites, and they, they, they go to Moab. So, Ty, um, can you read two through four? Two through four. Okay. Malon and Kilion and their Ephratites. Okay. Two through Ephratites. four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The name of the man was Elamelech, Elamelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites. Uh, I forgot what you said. <laughs> Ephratites. That's fine. That's Ephratites. Okay. From Bethlehem and Judah, they went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Uh, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the, other, the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. They lived there for 10 years. Thanks, Ty. So first of all, welcome Danielle to the group. I know she's connected to audio, but it's good to have her here. Um, yes, I heard her. Um, Okay, so Malon and Kilion. So first of all, Elimelech dies, okay? Um, and then Malon and Kilion, they take Moabite wives, okay? If you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 23, three through four, you may wanna circle the verse where they take wives, which would be verse four. Deuteronomy 23, three through four. They are not allowed to take Moabite wives, you're not allowed to let Moabites enter into Israel. Now, this wasn't a race thing. It specifically says in Deuteronomy 23, it's because when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, 
Moab was not kind to them. Moab was not welcoming to them. So God is casting them out, okay? They don't get to enter into God's rest like the Israelites do because they forsook the Israelites. They didn't want to, it's, it's one of those, you reap what you sow kind of things, right? Malon and Kilion either didn't listen on that day of Sunday school or they don't care. Um, and so again, you see not just how physically, you know, a lot of times in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the physical location represents the spiritual location. Does that make sense? So not only is this family physically far from the Lord, but spiritually they're far away from him. Marriage and, and the role that sex plays, especially in the Old Testament, is a huge indicator of where you are spiritually. Okay? One of the first things, right? One of the first things that Cain's children do is they take multiple wives to show their depravity, right? So anyway, they're not allowed to do this. Okay? And so you have Naomi and her husband has passed away, and now her two sons have passed away. Devastating. Um, we will look next week at God's sovereignty and suffering. Okay. But for now, just remember this was, this was devastating. Okay. Ty, can you do me a favor and read three and four one more time? Okay. Uh, but Elimelech, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her son, two sons and her husband. Good. So now you've got, notice how all the men are now dying. Okay. One of the major themes in the book of Ruth is the role that females play in societies that are largely male driven. Um, it's not really a good or a bad thing at this point. Okay. We're not really going to bash patriarchy too much, maybe a little bit, but, um, but we're really going to get into some of this as we get later in the book. But first of all, all these sinful leaders of their families who have done the opposite of lead have now died. Whether or not this is a direct punishment from God, the text doesn't tell us. Um, it's certainly not a bad guess for sure. Um, but we, we honestly don't know. Now, obviously God's in control of everything, right? But his, you know, Naomi's husband has passed and now her two sons have passed, which leaves Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah in the picture. Okay. Ty, you're doing such a good job. Do you mind if we just stick with you for the reading? Is that cool? I'm good with it. You're the man. Um, okay. Let's go with, go five and six, five and six. I just have a question. So you're going to stick with me because I pronounce the game, the, the name so easily. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, and Ty, you actually bring up a good point. I, I know we're kind of, you know, we've gone through a lot here. Let me pause. Questions, comments so far? I hate it when the professor like flies through stuff and you have a question or you miss something and, and he doesn't repeat it. And now you're just kind of out there in the ocean. Um, everybody good? Cool. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. All right. Tie it five and right. six. Both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law daughters to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Okay. So someone help me out here. So Naomi 
and maybe Ruth and Orpah, we don't know yet, but Naomi wants to return home. Now, the text gives us one reason she's going to return home. Um, what's one of those, what's, what's the big reason that she's coming home? It's at the end of verse six. What's the main reason here? Go ahead, Sydney. Because Israel's got food and they're hungry. Yeah, so the famine has now ended, which is going to be super important because there's food there because Naomi's husband and sons have died. And in that day, most of, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but most of the jobs were, were worked by males. The, the females were supposed to, females like they're, males and females like they're animals. The, the men and the women, um, the women were to stay at home, manage the household. And so if the male dies, if the man dies, there goes the income, there goes the protection. I mean, it's the Wild West, and it's the time of the judges, which so things are extra crazy, okay? So it is good to have that protection and that stability, and now it's gone. She wants to go back. Someone else, let's, let's think outside the box, though. What's another reason that Naomi may want to return home? Think about what's happened to her. What, what's, what's the reason she may want to return home? Let's go. Go ahead, Ty. Uh, I was going to say to be with her family because her husband died. Yeah, it, it's kind of all she has. Does that make sense? Like, you know, and, and another thing too, um, help me here. Your spouse is from this place. Your spouse dies. Why would you maybe want to go back to this place now? Think outside the box here. Let their family know they're dead. Okay, okay, that could, that could definitely be part of it. Um, even in today's world, though, why would you maybe want to go to the hometown of someone who is deceased? Cam, take, Cam, take a swing. You seem to, I think, you're, I think you're, you're, you're teetering. Go ahead. Like to learn more about them or like learn more about his family, maybe? So, yeah, so you're, you're, in the, you're, in the right, you're in the right place. They would definitely know about each other's families, but it's, I, I think there's, there's some, you, you want to be reminded, you know? Everything was good in Israel, and then the famine hit during the time of the judges, and now, and then we left, and things just went from bad to worse. I want to go home and be reminded of back when things, when things were good, right? Um, it's also, now here, here we get into some deeper theology. You know, look at um, at the end of verse four. Someone tell me, um, the end of verse four. How long did they stay in Moab? End of verse four. Hang on, let's go, Zach. How long did they stay there? End of verse four. Uh, ten years. Ten year, a decade, right? And then earlier. Oh, earlier in verse two, it says, now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Well, duh, they remained there. Why would you go out of your way to say that? I think it's probably to show that they put down roots. You know what I mean? This, this wasn't just staying in a hotel for a few days until the floodwaters recede. They put roots down there. First of all, how often does this happen to us? There are sins in our lives that, okay, I'm going to do this, and then and that'll be the last time. I need to get this out of my system, and it'll be the last time. Okay, this will be the last time. Okay, this will be the last time. And before you know it, you've put down roots in this thing. Does that make sense? 
that anger just, just becomes this hair trigger that you, you just live there now. That lust is everywhere you look. There is no getting lust out of your system. It just opens that door again. Look at how quickly we put down roots in sinful places. Same thing here. This is a, remember, the physical represents the spiritual, right? So they put down roots here. It's very likely that Naomi never would have returned to Israel had her husband and sons not died. Do you see that? Because as her husband and sons stay alive, she has a source of income. She has a source of safety. She's got this, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not trying to be glib about this, but she's got that comfort zone. But now that her husband and her sons have died, that's all gone. I'm not saying that God took away her husband and sons to get her out of her comfort zone. That's not what I'm, and you should never counsel people who are losing people by saying, hey, he's getting you out of your comfort. No, 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 no. But, but you guys, most of you know the story of Ruth and all the amazing things that happen in it. None of that would have happened had Naomi not lost everything. So a couple of things. First of all, don't think that God has stopped being faithful to you if someday you lose everything. I have a wife in the other room who has lost two dads, not just one, but two dads. Um, don't, and I know it's through Zoom and like, you know, it's hard to like get the feeling in there, but when we lose things, sometimes, well, all the time, when we lose things, God is working, okay? Um, there's a wonderful book that is, um, C.S. Lewis is part of the book. He didn't write it, but it's called, you may want to write this down. It's called A Severe Mercy. A Severe Mercy, okay? What does that mean? Someone help me think, Ty, if it's a severe mercy, well, help me understand what that means, and I'll help you get there. But, it, but think about what severe means, and think about what mercy means. Can you put those together for me? It's, uh, I kind of feel like it's like it's going to tear you down to kind of build you back up type thing. That, that's definitely in there. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's something bad happening. So in the book, it's an autobiography, but the man and his wife are obsessed with each other. They love each other deeply, and the wife, and they become Christians, but the wife loves Jesus, and the man is almost offended that the wife doesn't love him as much. It's not that she doesn't love him as much, but Jesus is the first thing in her heart now, as he should be. But then she dies of cancer, and now the man, all he has left is to, to figure out Jesus and to cling to Jesus, and he realizes if he had never lost his wife, he would never have really become a Christian. And again, he's not, he's not saying that he's glad it happened or anything like that, but, but in a way, he, he never would have found, you see, you see, it was a severe, but it was merciful because he found Jesus through it. You see what I'm saying? Naomi may never have gone home. This, is, this will blow your mind. I'm taking a class in seminary right now called Christian Encounter with Islam. Islamic people, Muslims have to obey the five pillars of Islam. One of them is that you have to, I guess it's this one down here, is that you have to go, if you're physically able, you have to visit Mecca once in your life. And people save up for decades to go to this place, especially if they live in places like America or other countries, to travel. They save up for decades. And now, right now, what's going on in, in the Middle East is you've got all these families 
who have saved up for decades, who have bought plane tickets, who have bought hotel rooms and places to stay to go to Mecca to make this pilgrimage, but because of COVID, they can't. And so you've spent your decades worth of savings and it's been pulled out from under the rug. And one of the things that people have been saying is, this is, and what's happening all over the Middle East is that Muslims are getting, are becoming Christians in droves. Why? Because think about it. You're devastated that you cannot obey one of the five pillars of Islam. And a believer comes in and says, what if you don't have to? What if you actually don't have to go to Mecca? And here's why. And so this devastation of not being able to go to Mecca is actually a gateway for the gospel to get in. Now, no one here, I think everyone here would agree that COVID is severe, but what a mercy to certain people. You see what I'm saying? So that's part of what's happened. God's sovereignty and suffering is a huge theme in the first chapter of Ruth, and when we can see it, right? Um, the Lord, and, and we'll see later on in the book of Ruth, the Lord will bring, will bring back to Naomi so much of what she lost. You may want to write down Joel 2.25. Joel 2.25 says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. I will give back to you the years that the locusts have taken away. And, and it, it's really a spiritual thing. It means like um, all the years that maybe your relationship with your parents has been destroyed because of your sin. I'm going to give that back to you. You see what I mean? That's, that will happen with Naomi. Everything you've lost in, in, in different ways. We're, we're going to get deep there, but I'm gonna, the Lord will repay back to you. So the Lord in his great mercy has visited his people. The famine has over. So Ruth has this massive theme of being empty and being filled being empty and being filled and God being sovereign over it all. There's no food. God will bring that back. Naomi and Ruth can't have children. There is no, they are in, there is no, think about this. Think about this. In famine, there is no seed to plant to grow barley. And in ancient times, you know, you hear, what is it that causes women to have birth? The seed of men. You see that connection there? It is literally a lack of seed all the way through, which leads to devastation and sadness. But the Lord brings that fullness throughout the book. All right, we're almost done. Um, Ty, can you read 8 through 10? 8 through 10. I'm sorry, 7 through 10. I don't think we got to 7. 7 through yeah. 10. Uh, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, uh, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Okay, so first thing, verse 7, it was probably custom at the time for these daughters-in-law to see Naomi back to the border of her homeland, and then they could go back because their, their husbands have died. So that, that might be what's happening here because it seems like they travel some and then Naomi says, okay, you guys go back. So maybe it was time for that. Okay. But look at verse eight. Ty, can you read verse eight until I tell you to stop? 
But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. All right, stop right there. To their mother's house. Don't you think it would, I mean, think about the time period. You, you would probably say father's house, though. Like the lineage was through the, the man. But she says mother's house. A huge theme in the book of Ruth is female life and female friendships and God working through these unexpected things, especially in that day and age. And, I'm, and this wasn't wrong. This was, this was the time period. The men were the movers and shakers of society. They were the ones with the money. They were the ones who were soldiers. They were the ones who traded and traveled. And, you know, the roads were, there weren't highways, you know, there was no RV. You just kind of went for it, you know, so you need men with you for protection from bandits and blah, blah, blah. So the men were the movers and shakers, but God's movement here will be through females for the most part, other than Boaz, as we'll see. But that's a huge theme in Ruth is God working through unexpected seemingly insignificant ways, which would be two women at the time period. And again, that's not a, a bashing. It's just, it was very unexpected, okay? Very unexpected. And that's a theme here. So go back to your mother's house. Oftentimes, you know, think about it. The men and the sons would go out and the dad would train the guys on what to do. And the mom would keep the daughter at home and train her on what she was supposed to do. So mother's house, again, pushing this, this theme of these female relationships through the book, okay? Um, Ty, can you read, um, hang on, I'm sorry, guys, I lost my spot. Um, Ty, read verse nine. Sorry, I know that was weird. Oh, read nine. eight and nine. There we go, there we go. Read eight, eight, nine. eight and nine. Okay. <clears throat> but Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each of you to her mother's house, May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Okay, first of all, circle the word Lord, where you see it in uh, 8 and 9. Um, God kind of has two main names in the Old Testament. Adonai, which just means God. Like when you see God in, in English, that's Adonai. But Lord is Yahweh, okay? Lord is Yahweh, okay? Um, so that is God's personal name, his, his covenant-keeping name, okay? Um, if you are in a covenant relationship with someone, you know them deeply, personally, that's what Lord means, to know him deeply and personally. A, a Gentile or someone outside may call him God, but my people call me, um, call me Yahweh. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Um, and, and Naomi applies that to these Moabite women, to these people outside of Israel. He doesn't say, she doesn't say, may God bless you and keep you, you know, May the Lord grant you, and you may want to circle this word kindly in verse 8. Does anyone have anything different than kindly or kindness? About the same thing, steadfast love. This word doesn't mean kindness like Disney Channel kind, okay? This is the specific, this specific word in Hebrew is hesed, and it's God's covenant-keeping love. His covenant-keeping love, through thick and thin love, not by works, love. I'm always with you, love. 
And so Naomi is applying that, sharing about that to Ruth and Orpah, okay? Which first of all shows us that sometimes God's covenant keeping love isn't through miracles or ending famines. Sometimes it's through people. Naomi is trying to give this covenant keeping love through people. What a good reminder in our split day and age that we are instruments of God's kindness towards people. The church being the body of Jesus is not a metaphor. It's reality, right? This is what's happening. Um, so anyway, and, and it also says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. So Naomi is looking at these Moabite women and saying, you have shown me God's kindness. God is working through, as, as, as we know at the time, two unbelieving Moabite women. But God's goodness is still getting to Naomi. His, his kindness is still getting to her. Again, God's kindness working through people. This is a huge theme of the book is God's covenant-keeping love in all seasons of life. Look at how God has already worked through unbelievers to minister to Naomi. And, and one of them is not going to be an unbeliever for long, as we'll see next week. So this is another huge theme, okay, is God's coming to keep you love. But think about it. Before they suffered, Naomi and her husband, they left the promised land. And yet God is still being faithful to them. Follow this. One of the themes of Ruth is not just God being faithful to us during our suffering, but God being faithful to us during our sin, okay? Not just him being faithful to us during our suffering, which is great and important, but him being faithful to us during our sin. They, they left the promised land and they put up roots there. They bought a house. They put the, R, the RV is in the garage. They bought a house to stay in, right? And yet, they, so they have effectively turned their back. And yet God is now drawing Naomi back to the promised land. Even though they sinned, God is bringing them back. God is ultimately changing Naomi's heart, bringing her back. This book is not just about God's love for people in suffering, though that is a huge theme. It is about God's long-suffering through our sin. Okay? Notice also in verse 8. Ty, can you just read verse 8 one more time? Sure thing. But Naomi... Uh, said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Notice Naomi puts her with the dead and with me. Naomi is putting herself with the dead here. Does that make sense? She's, she's, it's over. It's over. She's lost everything. First of all, emotionally, I'm sure she's a shell of a person. I can only imagine. Um, she now has to go back into this, into her homeland, right? Um, and now she's about to lose these two daughters-in-law too. She, I mean, she has no source of income. She has no source of protection. It's over. And yet the Lord is going to be faithful to her. At rock bottom, the Lord is faithful to her. Last verse, and then we're done. Uh, Ty, can you just read verse nine and we'll wrap it up for tonight? Uh, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. May you find rest. Okay, 
you've got to see this through the lens of the time period, okay? Because it, it, it sounds kind of, it, it kind of sounds like, man, I just really hope you guys can find a man. If you find a man, all your problems will be solved. All your problems will be over. Ladies, when you find a man, your problems actually get much more confusing. We can all vouch for that as men. Um, but it's just one, it's one of those deals. Um, but here's what Naomi's doing when she says, may you find rest in the house of your husband. This is huge. Um, and again, it was just the time period, but it was universally understood that the jobs available at the time could really only be done by men. And as we'll see, Ruth is going to buck that stereotype. Ruth is not built like Princess Jasmine, like we sometimes picture her, okay, as we'll see. Um, but a husband, and again, it's not, you've got to see it through the lens of the time period. And it applies to today in, in good ways. But in that day and age, husband meant family. You can't reproduce on your own. Husband meant family. It meant protection, security. In other words, financial security. In other words, it meant rest. And not just rest like you can sleep well at night. You, you got to go deeper than that. If you, you may want to circle that word rest in, in verse 9 and write down Joshua 23.1. Joshua 23.1. The goal in the book of Judges and in the book of Joshua is that Israel would have rest from their enemies. Rest, meaning, and in Revelation, it talks about the gates of the, of the new city in Revelation. The gates will always be up and they'll be open. Why would your gates be up and open? It's trying to push this theme of rest. The gates will always be up, so you'll be totally protected. The gates will always be open because you have nothing to worry about anymore. This theme of rest is huge in the, in the Old Testament and in the New. Hebrews talks about entering God's rest. But it shows this massive role that the man was supposed to play for the rest of the family. They were to be representatives of God. Think about it. God is going to give his bride, Israel, rest. Naomi hopes that the man will give his bride, Ruth and Orpah, rest. It's a representative of God. This is big theology that she's, Naomi's theology is airtight. It's, it's insane. Um, so that's, and that's what Adam was supposed to do and to be, to be the protector. This is why, if you think about it, when Eve eats the fruit first, but when God comes back, he asks for Adam first. I don't know if you ever caught that. Eve eats the fruit first, but when God comes back, he asks Adam first, where are you? Because Adam is the one who's supposed to protect, Right. And again, not that Eve is a damsel in distress. Eve can do CrossFit and kickbox, and it's going to be awesome. But it, that's the role that he was supposed to play, okay? Now, follow this. This is the last thing. But they, Naomi wishes this rest that Israel has been striving for, that God will provide. Naomi wishes it to her Moabite daughters-in-law. Um, the same rest that Jesus is, is secures for us in the church. Naomi is giving us a lesson here, but she is wishing God's ultimate blessing and protection on these Moabite women. This is her version of the gospel. I want the love that God has for us to be given to you. I want the rest that God has secured for us to be given to you. That sounds 
like the New Testament gospel. Naomi, in her own way, is sharing the gospel with these two women. And as we'll see in the next section, it works on Ruth. Ruth calls God Lord. May the Lord do to me and worse, blah, blah, blah. And your God will be my God, right? We say it at the weddings all the time, right? Ruth gets it. The Holy Spirit moves and it clicks in her head. She sees what Naomi is saying. So anyway, that's kind of the end of, of this first section of Ruth. And it is packed with theology and this incredible look at suffering and God. So we'll pick it up next week in, in 11 through the end of the chapter. Any questions before we close? And look at that. We finished at 759. <laughs> we finished early, which, is a, which will be kind of rare. We won't go super long, I promise. But any questions or, or comments before we leave? Any, any other thoughts? Everybody good to go? What I will do is I will post the audio of this to the podcast, PVN College, wherever you get podcasts, and I'll post the recording of this on, on YouTube. So if anyone wants a copy, um, just let me know and I'll, I'll send you the link. Okay, are we good to go? You guys are wonderful. Um, let me pray us out and then we'll be done. Okay, God, thanks for the chance just to, to learn through your word. Uh, thank you so much for the book of Ruth and how wonderful it is and just packed with importance and, and goodness. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we walk through this text that you would just continue to bless the reading of your word. Uh, let it work in our hearts so that we don't just learn information, that we grow closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, love you guys. Revelation at 2.30 on Sunday afternoon. And if not, I'll see you on Thursday, okay? All right, love you guys. See you later.